0: welcome to this week's episode in this one i sit down with my uncle jay liska a true snowboarder to his core you can hear it in his voice and the words he uses he started snowboarding back in the early 80s before highbacks and when snowboard companies were still trying to figure out what the hell a snowboard actually looked like Jay was one of Alaska's first professional snowboarders with his own pro model. He also started Borderline along with my dad, Scott Liska. For those not familiar with Borderline, it was an Alaskan snowboard and skateboard shop that really pushed the Alaska snow and skate scene in the late 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Jay would eventually part ways with Borderline and start his own shop, Northern Border, which also had a big impact on the Alaska snow and skate scene. Okay, the crude company men. Shout out to Trina Duber. Seward Brewing Company, David North, Crystal Liska, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Shane Robinson, and Sharon Liska. Thank you all for your support. This podcast wouldn't be possible without you. I also want to thank everyone from those old borderline and northern border days. I was going through the crude Patreon subscribers today and realized that more than half are people I know from back in those days. A lot of you don't know me as a journalist. You know me as the snowboarder I used to be. So I think it's really awesome that so many of you have subscribed at all different levels. Thank you. I really appreciate all the patrons for supporting me in this endeavor. I mentioned the crude Patreon a second ago, so I'll give you the quick spiel now. Patreon is how this podcast is able to keep going. So if you enjoy listening to crude conversations, consider subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Okay, back to the man of the hour, Jay Liska. If you've never met Jay, one thing you should know about him is he's a storyteller. Whether he's telling you about the newest Frankenstein machine he put together that week or reminiscing about what the Alaska snowboard scene was like back in the day, he's got plenty of stories. So let's just get into it. Here's Jay Liska. Mike is hot. Mike's hot? Mike's hot. Is it recording? That's, That's what that means, dude. Crew conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. Okay. Yeah,
1: you look like a professional there at Christmas. I tell you
0: what. <laughs> was I just uh, shooting the moon?
1: Um, I was like, wow. I was like, wow. These kids, young kids, and 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 you three, you three boys,
0: who me, uh, Colton and Austin. Yeah. yeah. You guys
1: were tearing it up. I was like, wow, what is going
0: on? Well, we got the snow machine, we got the we got the sled, we had Oh
1: yeah, we were sledding and we yeah. were tearing it up.
0: And um
1: I and I was like, Oh geez, these guys are professionals and, and then you clean the house.
0: Oh we clean the house too, huh? of beer oh clean the house of beer (laughs) i thought you meant i was trying to remember i'm like holy shit we cleaned the house that's no he
1: didn't you left a mess
0: (laughs) (laughs) they're never invited over again
1: (laughs) no i thought it was great i really enjoyed that
0: yeah that was fun had a lot of fun yeah we need to do that again so welcome welcome to the podcast jay
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: yeah of course so uh dude it dumped this week it did you run the tow rope at your snowboard park at all?
1: Uh, no, I didn't even plow the driveway. I was thinking about taking a couple of snow skate runs on the driveway because I got this little um little bank going there. It's kind of drifted, the wind blew and stuff, but uh no, not yet, you know. It needs a little more moskiing and
0: Can you can you <laughs> explain the ski to me?
1: The ski, you, you get a lawnmower and you cut the front out of it, like the front between the two wheels. And then you put it on skis, and then you can mow the alders in your snowboard park or whatever. It's kind of like, not like mowing lawn, but you just mow brush and everything else in the winter. Mow ski. Where'd you come up with this idea? Well, you know, YouTube, Redneck. Everybody is doing it, you know. Everybody's doing it.
0: Everybody's doing the mow ski? <laughs> they
1: really
0: are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody's... All the rednecks got a mower where they can cut trees and alders, but I think I'm the only redneck with one-on skis. <laughs> Everybody.
0: Okay, so for the listeners who might not be familiar with your park, your snowboard park, ski park, snowboard park, out, out in your front yard at your house, uh, what's it all about? Well,
1: you know, I got... A, a little bit of property up there, and I and I put. A, I grew up on rope toes, you know, when, um, like seventies and eighties on the east side. There was a, you know, Russian Jack had a rope toe, costed a dollar. Centennial had a rope toe, costed a dollar.
0: Centennial Park.
1: Centennial Park and Russian Jack Park, and we'd go there every night and ski just oh well, we we wouldn't even pay we'd just show up we're locals, you know, and just go for free and free seasons pass and and so we grew up on that and then when I built the house and we started with a uh a, a puma uh cat puma, and we would just tow each other up and down the driveway, and then that turned into I bought the rope and the truck, and a lot of people donated their fun boxes like Matt Wild, a lot of the boxes are Matt Wild's and uh Timbo from the um Tim Davis. Tim Davis yeah. from uh what's that? Church uh Inlet by the No, Church by the Sea?
0: I think it's Church by the Sea, isn't Church it? Church by the
1: Sea, yeah. yeah. That flat bar, that's the one from the Church by the Sea. Really? And okay.
0: Everybody all the um down there by uh you could see see Cook Inlet and everything from that that spot. Yeah. I mean when the kids
1: well, when the kids grow up and they would donate charity to the northern slope here. I can't. I gotta move these rails. Get rid of them. Here you go. You can have them. So, it's all kind of a collaborations of everybody's. You know the. I have the flat down flat from Indo. It's there in the woods.
0: The Indo skate park that. Uh, it's that a Bordelang flat had. down. Yeah. Yeah. I have the flat down rail. So we hit that sometimes. That is rad. And you still snowboard up there, right?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you get so old uh it, you need a soft landing. So if you're going to, you know, jib your stick and butter your muffin, you 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 want a fresh landing <laughs> and um and it's pretty hard to do at the resort cuz it's just bulletproof packed and mm-hmm. so I can, you know, one guy out, one guy out catching all the waves and jibbing the park. I'm run it and invite a few of my bros up and we'll do some jibbing. That is so rad, dude. <laughs>
0: don't
1: get better still... than
0: one don't get better than one guy out. Yeah, one guy out. <laughs> so, when did you first start snowboarding? I you know, I
1: was thinking about that. I when you when you texted me about this uh podcast thing, I was all like, I watched that um 200 minutes of 1990 DVD you had dubbed over from my VHS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it says 100 minutes on one and 116 on the other. I watched literally the 200 minutes. And uh I started thinking about that. I'm like, I had four or five snowboards before that. And I was like, okay. And then...
0: And it this, o- was, this was like 1990, was it? Because it was a VHS that I had made into a couple DVDs for you, right? Yeah. And so the timestamp on the bottom of that was what, 1990? It says 1990. And okay. I'm not sure if it was 90 or 89 but um
1: i was like man i had five snowboards before that because i used to break them in half and and uh and cut a little v-tail on them and give them to jake your brother i'd give him half a snowboard here's half a snowboard and he started out writing that up but um to answer your question probably about 83 me and my friend from the trailer park trailer trash (laughs) you know you don't realize that when you're trailer trash it's only later when you grow up you realize that oh man that was trailer trash but anyways (laughs) uh, he knew a guy Brad Puckett that worked at New Frontier Sports that Rick Malone owned and it was right next to Pickle Barrel Deli by East High School and Brad worked there and Rick owned it Uh, new frontier sports and Brad would tell us, Hey, just come in around 11 or noon and whatever boards didn't rent out. You can take them out and, and ride them. And we'd show up at 11 or noon, me and tiger. And, uh, your buddy tiger. Yeah. Tiger riding her from the trailer park, you know? And, uh, we were riding swing bows and, and, uh, Barfoots and whatever he ha- they had, we just rode whatever we would like. He'd let us take a board out and we'd ride it and bring it back. It was probably about eighty three. I can I don't know.
0: That's crazy. And you're you're riding them here in Anchorage, just just around
1: and mostly Arctic Valley.
0: Okay, mostly Arctic Valley. Hiking
1: Arctic Valley, you know they wouldn't let you at the resort or anything like that, and um,
0: you know just.
1: Mostly Arctic Valley, really. And they weren't
0: letting snowboarders at the resort at this time?
1: No. No, there was maybe a handful of snowboarders, and they weren't letting you on the ski lift.
0: And that would have been the military side, right? So there was the the left side, which was the tow rope, and then you had the right side, which was the, that actually had the chairlift.
1: No, they, yeah. Well, Arctic Valley is over here. They wouldn't let you on any of that. We had to go up in the gullies to the left. Okay if you're looking at arctic valley it would be lookers left so we were riding those gullies and just up in there just hiking and and uh making pow turns
0: and and you know free ride what was that first day like when you when you first had a snowboard and you're first able to kind of strap in and learn to ride it i mean cuz it's been you've been snowboarding for a long time
1: yeah yeah was, uh, 83 to 2019 i don't know you know, I I don't really remember the first days. I think it was really difficult because if uh the snowboards were not that great and there was a lot of crazy technology going on. Um a swing bow was I don't know, you can google that. It was kind of a crazy two skis on a platform thing and, and barfoots were pretty good and, uh, and could you explain a barfoot? Barfoot was just a brand name Chuck Barfoot from back in the day. He, his boards worked pretty good. He had good bindings and uh you know, it it really came down to the maybe the equipment, how good a day you had, but I can't really remember the the first day I snowboarded and you know, cuz you might not have got that rad sensation of doing it, like killing it. Mm-hmm. But uh I do remember when I got my first snowboard and and it was fairly, it was good. And I remember killing it on that thing. I would just hike up there. I had a pit bull with a harness and he just towed the snowboard up. And, uh, uh, you know, I guess I'll say that part of this. I'd strap a 12 pack of beer between the bindings of the snowboard. Yeah. And the pit bull would pull the dog, the board and the snowboard up. And I just walk up drinking beer and and then uh take some runs. It <laughs> doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. Well unless the dog runs out in front of and you, you cut his leg open with your board it did that before too. But yeah, that that's how everybody knew oh there's Jay because there'd be a dog pulling a board behind him. You know, there was only <laughs> twenty of us and everybody knew each other, so Yeah, it was a small scene back then. Yeah, like that footage of that half pipe stuff on Arctic Valley, yeah, in that video. That was literally all the snowboarders in Alaska or in Anchorage Bowl except for maybe Tito Ramos. He was he was there in the morning. There's no footage of Tito in that.
0: He was there in the morning though?
1: Yeah, he he plowed that or helped build that whole thing and he had to leave. But um he was there in the morning, but literally everybody else you know Juan and Bill Kozlowski and Darren uh, Mattingly. Mattingly was there, and uh, Carl Middlestet, and I mean that was all the snowboarders in the Anchorage Bowl. Yeah, that and that video, nineteen
0: ninety. That was that was it. That's crazy. What was it like growing up in a the snowboard culture when it was just a bunch of buddies? Like you guys were all knew about each other. You knew that you'd be at either the same spots or. You know, you'd see each other, you know, weekly. It's not really like that anymore. It was, it was pretty good. I mean,
1: we dug, we all knew each other. We know, boom, we're going to go here. We're going to do that. And then there was some hierarchy in, in the crew. And, um, but you really, you know, I looked up to Tito and, you you always wanted to progress or excel, and you had to find it somewhere. There was no. Where where are you gonna find it in nineteen eighty four? Who's gonna teach you all this stuff? You're gonna learn it on your own, or you gotta find somebody. So it was, it was good. It was like really learning, and and uh, you'd see somebody
0: do something, and he's like, oh, I could do that, and it was. Um, it was pretty dope. Yeah, it sounds like it. So <laughs> you were the first Alaskan snowboarder to have his own pro model, right? Yeah. What was that like? And, and actually, who was it with? Well, the company,
1: um, was. they were leasing the name Mistral Snowboards. And then I don't know if they, Mistral wanted more money or what, uh, but they broke that agreement and they started generic snowboards. And then my pro model was on generic snowboards. And, uh, you know, I think of those times, it, it was incredible. You know, everybody wants to free ride powder. If I asked you, do you want to go free ride powder or you want to jib traffic cones, you know, and you want to go ride in a helicopter or you want to go down to Buttress Hill downtown, I want to go in the helicopter and ride pow. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. Uh, you know I had a pro model. we'd go to Valdez. we would ride Pow, you'd get in a beaver, eight of your bros fly up, land, and just it was incredible. I don't know I mean all parts of
0: snowboarding are cool, but to have that freedom like you guys had back then must have been pretty amazing. yeah, no guides,
1: nobody tell you what to do. Cliffs are big, and powder's good and and uh. It was, you know, Valdez was like the North Shore of snowboarding. And, and we went there and would stay there for months and just crush it. And they had airplanes and helicopters and no guides. Nobody to tell you what to do. It was um maybe no one appreciated so much at the time. But now I look back on it and I'm like, man, we had it made. It was so good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I've, you know, pretty recently within the last couple of years, I was driving out to Seward with my dad and uh, we, we drove, we were driving past a couple mountains and he's like, oh yeah, you know, back in the day we hit that. It's crazy to think about now because to have a helicopter drop you off on some random peak is like unheard of now. You know, you you as the rider can't be like, I want to go to that mountain over there. Just, you know, randomly, it's not going to happen. They have, They have their set kind of agenda to, you know, bring you to depending on like your skill level. So I guess based on that, do you have a line or a run that maybe sticks out in your mind that you're like, nobody's ever done that? Yeah.
1: And that's funny you say that
0: because I always think of this one, you know, we're in
1: we're in the pass. Thompson's pass and uh, end of the day, sun's been baking all day whatever april late april and uh it was me Richie Fowler farmer Nick Ferrada and Adam Yout from the Beastie Boys we all pile in the beaver and we go we want to land on hog's back and take the run off hog's back and somebody pick us up to bring us back to town Hogsback is that that big shoot you see when you drive to town right before Keystone Canyon where that avalanche came down and, like, closed the town off for, like, multiple months, like, a couple years ago. Valdez, right? In Valdez? Yeah. That's Hogsback right there. And we're like, we want to land on Hogsback and, and do it. And, you know, we're like, okay. And the pond's like, all right, let's do it. Boom. We get in the beaver, land on top. And there's one chute, and it comes down. And then there's a flat glacier, a hanging glacier. And you got to cross that to come over this face where you can come down and get to the road. And uh, we got up there on top and and uh, there's a small wind lip, just like about maybe about a hundred feet down the chute. This, the chute is steep. And we're like, okay, let's do this. And we, you know, I think Richie hit it first or maybe it was farm. I don't know. And somebody hit that, like just putting off this wind lip. And you know, got like a hundred foot air. We're like, "Oh, yeah, and it was there's an incredible wind limp on the top of that shoot of hogs back. It just just put off that, you'll get a nice air, and then you gotta blaze down, cross that hanging glacier, and then you drop in on this face, and it's been getting cooked all day. We're talking seven, eight o'clock at night in April. It's been getting cooked all day. And uh, I'm kind of coaching Adam out from the Beastie Boys because he'll dislocate his shoulder and uh, and he's a little leery of that. And we run about halfway down this slope and we end up in this like bottleneck icy thing. And he's like, and I jump through this little bottleneck thing. And he's like, I don't want to take my board off. I don't want to dislocate my shoulder. And I'm like, no, don't take your board off. Just jump it. And he's like, no, I don't. And I look over and farm's coming down. And he goes down, and there's this big avalanche, like, following him. And he's just, like, killing it, getting pitted. And I'm like, we got to get out of here. Let's go. And Yowt's like, oh, no, I got to take my board off. And I'm like, whatever you do, hurry up. We can't hang out here. And he jumped down. He put, he rode a grocer, you know, 180. And I was all like, dude, and we, we got him off the
0: mountain. But, yeah, that's a memorable run. That's pretty crazy, and, and Beastie Boys were huge. I mean, they're still huge, but they were, like, yeah. that was their their time.
1: Yeah, he was in the snowboard movie and everything. We were filming for some movie or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Not at that
0: run, but he made it in the movie. So did, <laughs> did you feel some responsibility, like, to, to get him out of there safe?
1: Yeah, you know, sometimes I have to, like, uh, um, uh, not mentor, but uh, regulate some of the individuals and the uh, things and you know because people can get pretty crazy sometimes you never got crazy? well I get crazy too but some of uh, you know people can get rubbed the wrong way and like think I think somebody wanted to fight with Adam and I had to calm that down a little bit I calmed a few people down in my day yeah, I like think you don't fight with Adam. Yeah, you know, from the Beastie Boys.
0: Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> was that your? Was that what you told the person? Like, you can't, you can't fight with Adam.
1: Uh, no, I don't remember what I said. I think I, I calmed the situation quickly. <laughs> Jay,
0: the cooler. <laughs> so, you were in a helicopter crash, right? Yeah. Do you want to, uh, you want to tell me about that? Mm,
1: yeah, sure. Yeah. So we would go over to Mount Spur in the summer and, um, and we King salmon fish on the river, on the Chewett river. And, uh, that was a nice, that's a good little story. I love stories. don't you? I just love stories. So I'll start with that story. So we're down fishing on the Creek, on the Chewett river, uh, The mosquito rabbit hole, we called it. Because if if you went into the woods, it was, the mosquitoes will get you. Your dad was there, too. He got, he came in. He came in and got some of that, too. And, uh, and I was happen to be sponsored by, at the time, uh, Warsteiner. Um, my good buddy, Ilya Peckett's, owned Inlet Distributing. He was, like, my first sponsor. Ilya, love ya. And so, I had gotten, I don't know, Ilya gave me, like, a pallet of beer or something, and and, uh, and I don't know how many cases we got out to the mosquito rapid hole, but it, it was uh, me and uh, Nick and Farmer and Richie. And Pat Solomon was the uh, filmer, dude. And uh, maybe somebody was there from Transworld. Oh, Peter Stein was there. I think he was writing a story for Transworld. Yeah, I think Pete was there too. And so we show up, and on this little river bank, they fly us into the helicopter we land, get all our camp gear out, and uh, what I don't know how many, like I said, how many cases of beer, but there's, a, there's the river, and there's a little creek, and we set our tents up here, and like, oh, let's put all the beer in the creek, that'll be great, and, you know, keep the beer cold, we'll be stoked. And uh, first night, starts raining. And I don't know, somebody got up take a piss and they're like, hey, all the the river came up. Hey, all the beer's floating away. Get up. And we all get up and we're trying to it's down this creek. And we're like, grab the beer. And we grabbed like as much as we could, you know, and and uh we probably lost some. And then um Were you guys jumping in the river? No, like there's the the river and then a small creek like uh high water you know if the rain came up it, it flows over here too okay that's where we stored our beer was in that little tiny little uh cove little creek on the side okay. of the river okay um and so we collected up as much beer as we could and then you know when you're young you know y- you are not very smart and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so and we're fishing we're catching kings and It was just a blast, and we're just killing it. And you know, uh, then they're like, Oh, we're coming to get you on X Day, on we'll just say Thursday. We're like, Okay, and this is the dumb part. And and so on Thursday, we're like, Oh, they're coming to get us, and all like, so we like drank all the water and ate most of the food, and they didn't show up for two days. And we're like, And so the first day, like, they didn't show up, and we're like, Oh, man, we're boiling uh, the Mosquito Rapid Hole Jardia thing and pouring it through coffee filters and, and it's still kind of brown. And we're like, trying to drink that? And we're like, oh, and we're out of cigarettes, but we had a can of uh, top rolling tobacco and we're trying to smoke that on, you know, like the the paper on the outside of a toilet paper roll, not the toilet paper, but the the packaging it comes in. Yeah. We, we were out of papers. Yeah. So we're trying to roll out of that. You know, we're looking at papers and we're like, oh that was super gnarly. And <laughs> and then um I mean we're we're going on two days now. No water and very little food. I don't know. you know, like we're super dumb. And uh Well you guys were smart enough to stay in the same spot. Yeah, we ain't going nowhere. <laughs> yeah, we're not going nowhere. And um, so we're just sitting there, and it's sunny, summer, July or something. We're out of bait, so we just cast our poles out and just put them in the rocks and just sit there and watch them. But, you know, kings don't bite unless you got some eggs or something. There's just spin and glow on the end. And we're sitting there, and we still had ammo, and we had guns, and a duck flies over, and we're all... And it's like Vietnam, and we're shooting at this duck, and he gets away. And then, and then, boom, a king jumps in the river. And we look, and my pole's gone. (laughs) And he's jumping with a pixie in his mouth, or a spinning glow. We just got done shooting at that duck. Run down there, okay, when he jumps, shoot him. And we're all like, boom! And that didn't work out that good. And then, uh... I grabbed somebody else's pole. I don't know if I grabbed uh, Fa- Richie's or Nick's pole or whatever. And I cast it out, caught my line, grabbed my line, pulled my pole off the bottom of the river and reeled in this like, you know, 20, 30 pound King. We killed that bitch. And we we're eating that salmon. And then we ate that salmon. It was like, man, we've been eating good. And this is, you know, don't don't ever drink all the water you got until the plane shows up. But anyways,
0: <laughs> pro tip,
1: <laughs> yeah, pro tip. And then um, Pat Pat Solomon, he says, you know, when the rain came up that first night, I don't think we got all that beer. And I'm like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, come with me. And we walk down the where the river is, and there's this there's a huge rock about the size of a Volkswagen, you know. And just on the other side of that rock, he's like, he's like, and you know, Warsteiner's got that that gold label on the top, you know, that little gold header on the top okay. there. And he, I, and he's like, look at that, look at that little gold down there. And I'm like, oh, look at that gold. And I'm mentally, I'm like, bam! I dive in the river, go down, come up, two Warsteiners, me and Pat are just over here. Two beers. Two beers. <laughs> and. You know, right or wrong, I come up with these two beers and Pat looks at me. He's like, yeah. And this is after two days of no water, you know, like no guzzling water. Like, you know, like after a hockey game or something. And uh, I, we look, I look at Pat and I look at the beers and I look at the other crew. There's four other motherfuckers over here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess I shouldn't have said that. Oh no! You can guess. Oh, is this explicit?
1: Yeah. Oh, tight. And I go, and he looks at me. And he's like, "I just handed him one. I took one. We cracked it and hid behind that rock and just slammed those beers. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, I like how you guys hidden behind a rock. Or you the one the other guys to see us drinking the beer. They didn't get no beer. We had two. <laughs> Deuce. Anyway, so you. Oh, the helicopter crash. Yeah. So. Like, I was the first guy to snowboard, I believe, off the top of Mount Spur.
0: Wait, so so just to, that other story had nothing to do with the helicopter crash. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> it's a long story. Okay, go ahead. That was pre-story. That's like a... Just to warm me up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so we we fly up by Lake Chamichatna, and we get all in there and stuff, and we're like in the morning, like, okay, who wants to go? The pilot tells us, like, who wants to go first? And there was like, uh, nah, 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 and they're all him on around. And they're like, they nominate me. Jay will go first. I'm like, yeah, I'll go first. It's ten thousand feet. We're, you know, we're starting at five or a thousand, and we got to go up ten thousand feet and land. Nobody's ever been there. Pilots not landed there. And, um, and he's like, I only want to take one person because I've never landed there. He doesn't know how sketchy it's going to be. And I'm like, okay, I'll go. And, you know, we're back to the not-so-smart part of, it. you know, no, no shovel, no transceiver,
0: nothing. That was pretty normal back then, though, yeah. to not have a Peeps or okay. a tran- transceiver.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seemed like it. Okay, if everybody knows that, I don't have to explain it then. Good. <laughs> we used to say, uh, I'm riding my shovel. I'll dig you out with my snowboard. That's what we used to say. That's an old
0: saying. Old quote. Anyways. And and you'll you'll dig the person out from an avalanche with your shovel. Snowboard. With your snowboard, okay. I'm riding my shovel was the quote. Okay. Okay. In what way? Can you explain riding my shovel?
1: I don't have a shovel. I'll dig you out with my snowboard.
0: Oh, I'm riding my shovel. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> a little slow to the draw there. <laughs> Anyways,
1: okay, I'll go first. Okay, we're choppering up, and I've never choppered up 10,000 feet. It took a while. It had to take 10 to 15 minutes or more to get up, and we come in, chopper, 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 and um, land, boom, on the top of Mount Spur. And I'm in the front, and I get out. I step on the skid, and then I step off. And boom, I go into a crevasse, and but I hang onto the skid, like I'm hanging on the ski of the helicopter, and I'm looking up at the back of the pilot, and he's like, he, he's fingering me like, oh, you want to get back in? And I'm like, no, I'm not getting back in.
0: And I crawl out of that crevasse, and now I got to go around the front of the helicopter. Wait, so, so you got out of the, the helicopter, and you fell into a crevasse immediately?
1: Yeah, well, the first step, when you step... Imagine stepping out of a helicopter, and then you're on snow. But mm-hmm. then as soon as I stepped on the snow, boom, I fell into a crevasse. But I hung onto the ski okay. of the helicopter. I'm hanging on by the ski, looking back up at the pilot, and he's notioning, oh, you want to get back in? And I'm like, I'm shaking my head, no. And I crawl out. I hang, hang on the skid. I crawl out of the... um crevasse hanging on the helicopter. He's still just sitting there on top of Mount Spur. And uh, I have to walk around the front of the helicopter. Then I have to jump over the crevasse to get my snowboard off the other side. And so I walk around, I jump over, get my snowboard off and you just give him the thumbs up and he takes off. And then it all sets in on you. When you see him go down and you can't see him anymore, And then it all sets in and he's like, you're like, wow, now what what did I get myself into? And you start thinking, you run the scenarios, you know, what if the helicopter crash? How are they going to get me? It could be forever. I have
0: nothing. So you're kind of panicking.
1: Yeah, I was freaking out. Yeah, freaking out. And and so in order to calm myself, I'm like, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to snowboard. I snowboarded off all three sides of that mountain and hiked back up before anybody else got up there. Holy
0: crap. How long was that?
1: I mean, it's, I, I
0: mean, don't know. How, how long did it take you to, to snowboard down, hike up, I snowboard down? We're
1: not talking no vertical, like massive vertical. I'm talking to like, you know, 20 turns or something. I'm going to go down here and do some pow slashers and, and then hike back up, and just keep my mind off where I was. And I'm like, okay, nobody's here. I'm gonna go down this side, and did that, and then I went off this side. We're we're talking only, you know, maybe not vertical, but length, um, 500 feet or 800 feet. Okay. Like my, my driveway's 800 feet, you know, 20 turns, and then somebody else come in, and and uh, we did some filming, and we did this a couple times. And and that was the very first time we, we snowboarded Mount Spur. But I think it was the second season when, you know, we never landed with a full helicopter on top. And we did some filming and we ate lunch down low on the mountain, like the side that faces Anchorage. And the pilot says, we got enough fuel for one more lift. And when we thought he said one more lift, We thought he meant actually two because we never landed with a full helicopter on top, but he says, no one, everybody's gone. Okay. And so we all pile in there. We're coming in. And And how many people is that? Five. It was me, Richie, the pilot, Pete, and Pat Solomon, the filmer. Uh, I don't, I can't remember Pete's last name. And I'm in the middle in the back. That's the best place. You want to be in the middle and the back. And uh, so we're coming in the, to land. And when a helicopter comes in to land, when they get so far off, they start pulling a lot of power. They call it a flare. So they land soft. And there was a downdraft or something. And instead of slowing down to land, we didn't slow down at all. We hit the top of the mountain. And then you get all that power. And we went like this. And then you get the... Ad- backwards. Yeah, we're, like, going backwards like this, kind of like. And then you get the adrenaline rush, which is great. Adrenaline. (laughs) And I was thinking in my mind, I was like, wow, that was close. And we're going like this. The thing I didn't realize is once a helicopter can't fly, it takes, like, 200 feet for it to fly again to get air underneath its rotors. So we went, bam, we popped off the top. Went flying sideways back. And um, and we dropped like 200. There's a cauliflower wall on the west side of, of, of Mount Spur on the top. There's a cauliflower wall to a big, huge glacier bowl. And we dropped that cauliflower wall, hit that glacier, spun over. Rotors went flying. And, you know, we stopped rolling. I'm in the middle in the back. The filmer's on this side. All I can see is his feet. He's underneath the helicopter. So I start trying to dig his feet out. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm still strapped in, like, sideways on a helicopter. Diesel fuel, jet, whatever you want to call it. And he dug himself out. We all jumped out. We're running across the glacier like it's going to blow up, you know, like the movies. And uh, it didn't blow up. And, you know, we're like, okay, we gather all our shit up. And, damn, Farmer was there. I think Farmer was there was there anyways gather all our shit up the pilot lost some of his toes we're looking for some toes and how did he lose toes well when a helicopter crashes or rolls the rotors flex and they'll come through the helicopter they came through the front of the helicopter cut his toes off and they chopped my snowboard off they cut snowboards clean and then they came off the helicopter holy crap the rotors are flexible, and if you flip a helicopter, the rotors are going to come through.
0: So they cut through the front of the helicopter. Yeah, like if you're sitting like this and they flex, bam! There goes a few
1: of your toes. Yeah, and uh, and and so we're just a mess, and we and uh, at the time NASA was up there in the crater. It's a volcano. Testing the Dante robot. They wanted to send to Mars,
0: mm-hmm. and we
1: heard them on our talk about someone we filming on the other side of the mountain. And uh, once again, they're like, "When did they get NASA and Radio NASA? When did I get NASA? You know, we need help." And Jay, go over there, and I'm like, "Dude, this is a glacier. I'm like, if I walk over there and you can't see me, and I fall in a crevasse, I'm done." Mm-hmm. I said, "I'll walk over there. As, I'll hike over there as far as I can, but once I can't see you, I'm coming back." So I did that. Come back, and I come back to the pilot, and I'm like, he's all like, he's tripping out a little bit. and He's starting to go into shock, and he's like, he's like, find my backpack, find my backpack. And I'm like, okay. And uh, I find his backpack, and he's like, there's a radio body in there, just the body, the radio body, not the battery or antenna, just the body. He's mm-hmm. find my back. I find his backpack, and he's like, and it's all to him. You know, I give all the credit to him, and he's all like, okay. And we had these Motorola radios we were filming Went and boom, the Motorola battery fit on his body. Bam. And he's all like, okay, take the antenna off the bottom of the helicopter. I take the antenna off the bottom of the helicopter, put it on this radio, turn it on. Mayday, mayday. I don't know if you ever call mayday, mayday, but mayday, what else are you going to say? Yeah. Mayday, mayday. And you were the one to do this. Yeah. Hello, this is Coast Guard, Kodiak Island. Hell yeah, we wrecked. How many? This many? Boom! And uh, and uh, they sent in um, doing those big helicopters with the thing on the front. I don't know the name of them. Blackhawks? Yeah, like a Blackhawk. They sent in a Blackhawk, and they came through, and they looked at the situation, and they're like. This is crazy. We're not going to land there. And then they took off. And I guess they went and dumped all their fuel. They wanted to lighten up. And then they come back. They never landed. Two EMTs jumped out. They never landed. And then came down to where we were. And they're like, okay, we're going to take, uh, take the pilot out first. He's the most injured. They had one sled. The helicopter landed probably 1,000 feet below us on this glacier bowl. And, you know, they landed down below us. And so their plan was, okay, we'll get the pilot and we'll sled him down to the helicopter. And then Richie broke his leg. He was sitting in the front. Like I say, you want to sit in the back, in the middle. Everything flies out and the front gets crushed. You know, Mm -hmm. you look at an airplane wreck, the only thing left is the tail. Yeah. And so um, they're like, uh, we're going to take the pilot down. Then we're going to come back and get Richie. And Richie's all like, F that, Jay. Get me on a snowboard. I'm going. And so Richie's got a broken leg. I get him on the snowboard, and I got on my snowboard, and I kind of hold it, held on to him, and
0: and you guys are sitting on the snowboard.
1: No, he's sitting on it. I'm on my snowboard, kind of heelside elevatoring, you know. Okay. Kind of moderating his speed so he doesn't like getting crazy, and I heelside elevatored him down this glacier to the helicopter, and they we got out of there, and uh, boom. When you land at uh, the hospital, you land at the hospital and taxi it up to a regional, you get out of the helicopter. Well, then it all hits you. It's like, wow. Yeah. We were just in the helicopter wreck and I'm still here. Probably didn't feel super real. No, it didn't until you are on packing anchors on dry ground. It, mm-hmm. was, it was just kind of like, um, you know, I need to do this, and then this is this, and this is the way it is.
0: Well, And being there at the hospital, too, it seems like uh maybe like a moment of clarity. You know, like you, you realize your own mortality. Like that was some real shit we just went through. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you, and you look back and you're like, wow, is, is all this really worth it? And I'm like, all
0: this stuff, helicopters and risking your life and stuff. Did that kind of change how you snowboarded after that? Did you think more about kind of the consequences at all?
1: Well, it kind of ended my snowboard career because, you know, I was paid to ride in helicopters, ride powder, jump clips, film. And I had had a hard time riding in helicopters after that. Uh, You know, it was ridiculous. I did ride in one twice. And on the second run I broke my kneecap in half, but that's a whole nother story. But yeah, that kinda ended the snowboarding thing and 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 I'm not a control freak, but when you're riding in something and somebody else is in control, I I, I don't make good decisions all the time, but I trust my decisions most of the time. When you're relying on somebody else to make good decisions and trust their decisions, you're not in control. So I started snow machining after that.
0: <laughs> so you were fully in control yeah, of um, the machine.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can judge this, train that, and and my capabilities and make my
0: own judgment. That's interesting. You know, I've, I've never heard that perspective before because I always hear about just how crazy those Wild West days were, you know, of... Like I said earlier, being able to point at a line and being like, you know, let's go hit that. And then here, you know, here we are 20, 25 years later and still no one's ever done it because maybe it's unsafe uh, terrain or whatever. Right. And so to have you go through something like that, that's so traumatic and then make such a, in my opinion, a level headed decision to be like, all right, maybe, maybe we don't do this anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, I Look at things and make decisions, maybe a little differently than other people. And also, right after that, I mean, snow machining blew up. It was ridiculous, and so I still snowboarded and, and snow machine, but it was like when when we say uh, you know here's snowboarding and then here comes snowmobiling. Right behind that kind of, you know, the uh freestyle turning and hardcore and cold smoke and sled necks. That came right after snowboarding. Mm-hmm. I was right in the thick of that. And and so, but you know, I wasn't gonna lay down. I had to do something, and it just Another thing to ride. Ride and make pow tippers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Pow tippers. <laughs>
1: pow tippers.
0: <laughs> you know, tell me a little bit about the, your, your snow machine days. You know, I haven't really heard too much about that. I know that you were, you were or still are like big into it and all those like snow machine heads. They all know you. Well, so uh, the guy Pat Solomon, I was trying to
1: dig out of the helicopter that the camera guy had a camera bag on his chest. Like a uh, like a sixteen mil Aeroflex, you know, like yeah, and and he got uh, was underneath the copter when we crashed. So I was trying to, get, well, he made the he filmed as a freelancer, the majority of the first Krusty Demons of Dirt. <laughs> nice, and then uh, those dudes I can't remember their names, but anyways, he seen like Krusty's blew up. That was the original like freestyle motocross flick. Pat's, Pat film most of it. And he's like, well, they're killing it. I'm going to make my own movie. And Pat starts filming his own movie called "Organ Donors. And "Organ Donors was freestyle motocross. He threw it all in there. Four wheelers, jet skis, and snowmobiling. And he calls me. He's like, you snowmobiling? Like, yeah, let's come on up. Let's go. And he comes up and we film a bunch of snowmobiling. I don't know if this was one or two years later. It was ridiculous. And we're like, I a turn again, just... Jumping off cornices cornices, and going to Arctic Man and just crushing it. And and, uh, that movie came out, Organ Donors. Then, boom, these other dudes, the Sled or the uh, Krusty guys, I can't remember his name, and uh, Aaron Von Hessinger from Two Stroke and the Slednecks guys, the guys that started Krusty started Slednecks, they all call me the next year. Because they're, you know, in California, everybody knows every other filmer. And they're like, who do I call? They all call me. Oh, yeah, come on up. And so the next year, oh, here comes Two Stroke Cold Smoke. Here comes Slednecks. And, you know, I'm not the best snowmobiler and this and that. But I was in a few few of those movies. And they were the first ones. Again, the first ones. And um, it was a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's the fun days. That's
0: what's up, (laughs) Jay. So, I guess to switch gears a little here, I asked my dad, your brother, Scott Liska, this question on his podcast, but I wanted to know your perspective. So, how did Borderline get started? For the listeners who don't know what Borderline is, it was an Alaska snow and skate shop back in the late 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I mean, so I did
1: teach uh, my brother, Scott, how to snowboard. And, and, and that did, and that one day in Valdez, you know, that started borderline, but I did try to teach him one time before that. Really? Yeah. We went up to Arctic Valley in the summer and hiked up to the top. There was only snow on the glacier. And, and this was my very first snowboard too. no high backs. It was a flight rocket. I don't know if anybody remembers a flight rocket, but. I did a little run on the cor- on the cornice, and then I'm like, here, you try it. And he's all like, the- no high backs, fast techs for buying, you know, it-, it was just ridiculous. But he's all like, this sucks. This is a fad. This is going to fade. This is, this is lame. Uh-huh. Okay. And-, and that was his- That was actually the first time he tried it. And then, like I said, when we went to Valdez, uh, we we're both electricians, and-, and it was his idea. He comes to me and he says, I heard there's a road shot in Valdez and we go check it out. And so we went down there and, um, you know, it was Jake was there, Cooper Gordon, a friend of mine named Chet and, and Scott. And, uh, you know, the first day he he had that, he was wearing that Descent one piece and he had those tiger vocals, vocal tigers. He bought some stuff from Rennie. Rennie out at World Cup out in Girdwood. He bought his stuff from Rennie. And uh, and he was trying to ski, and it was two feet. It was corny, a couple feet of corny, and uh, he was struggling. By the end of the day, he was just driving the van. He's like, I don't even want to ski. And then we went to the Pipeline Club that night, had some steaks, some drinks, and I had two boards. I had just bought the first Craig Kelly. Really? The first pro model Craig Kelly, the the one with all this sketchy looking orange stuff on it. Mm -hmm. And I had my other board, which was a Sims half pipe. And uh, I said, I got two boards. I mean, you need to try snowboarding tomorrow. And so the next day, uh, he went up and he killed it. I mean, you watch that video and also like, people don't do that. And he's loving, he's making turns and loving it. And uh, uh, Lincoln turns his first time. Yeah. That's crazy. Just you know, pow turns and love it and just not struggling, not heel-sided and bow-winkling and all this other crap. And uh, so, you know, we get done with that. And, you know, it's a six-hour ride back to Anchorage. And on the way back, like he said, and he's like, man, we need to invest some money in this snowboarding crap. This is going to blow up. And so the idea was invest all our money in uh, Burton Snowboards, which it's privately owned and you can't buy stock in that and so you couldn't buy stock in any snowboard company in 89 or 90 so the next one was well we'll just open a snowboard shop and you know we said okay and so i i don't think i know i don't think i thought up the name borderline i think i might have seen it somewhere
0: i've always heard that it came from that madonna song it could have <laughs> i'm not sure where it came from <laughs> That could yeah just that's be, a good point, yeah it could just be hearsay I'm not sure
1: yeah that's good. yeah and then uh you know we we started borderline in uh eighty nine or whatever and that was uh that was pretty good stuff
0: and so the very first borderline the one on Arctic yeah. boulevard uh was broken into at one point right yeah and oh yeah <laughs> someone rammed their car into it right during a blackout. <laughs> do you remember that story? Yeah, I do. That's a good story, too. That was awesome.
1: <laughs> Let's see if I can tell that one. Hmm, okay. So, the store got broken into. It was a blackout. Somebody smashed a car in there. And they stole a bunch of skateboard stuff. Right? Anchorage is not that big. And so, we had that skate park going out back at the same time. Every skater in Anchorage was coming... The skate, the park, or around that vicinity. And so we are talking to the kids, which, you know, we're doing some Magnum PI crap or Columbo. And, uh, and we get this one kid, he's like, Yeah, I know where your stuff's at, and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Okay. And I'm like, Well, what's it going to take? And we're like, Well, he's like, Yeah, give me a deck. And I'm like, Okay, here's a deck. And he's like, Okay, your stuff's right here. And I'm like, Okay. And so me and Scott come up with this idea, and like, Okay, they're going to be, um, hungover or whatever Saturday or Sunday morning and um we we paid this kid some more money to knock on the door too. So we'll go there Sunday morning early, like about eight or or whatever, six ish or something. And uh we'll have the kid knock on the door and then we'll just bust in there and find her stuff. That was our plan. And so we show up, we're there, it's in Fairview and um, and there's some windows. And so I'm like, okay, I'll hang out on the corner here. And, and your brother goes over here next to the door. Dad. Yeah, Dad. Scott. Yeah. Scott goes over here next to the door. And he's like over here. And then we have the kid knock on the door. So they'll open it, right? Kid knocks on the door. Knocking on the door. Just then I'm standing in Fairview, leaning up against the wall like this, kind of looking around the corner. A cop starts driving by. And he's all looking at me in Fairview, and I'm all slimmed up against the the wall. And he like, he just pulls right in the driveway. And then the kids open up the door. And the Scott, your brother go, <laughs> my brother Scott goes running in there. He might have slapped a few kids around, opens up this closet, boom, full of skateboard stuff. Meanwhile, I'm outside and the cops like, what's going on? And I'm like, well, we own a skate shop and these kids slowly stole all our crap you and spilled the beans. Well, <laughs> dude, he's about ready to cuff me or something. I'm looking shady in Fairview. And um uh, and uh here's all you know, we think they stole this is where the stuff is, and he's like, Oh, it's the case number, like, Oh, here's the case number. And he's like, And then your dad comes out, Scott, and he's like, It's all right there. And the cop's like, Oh, good, right on. He's like, Man, it's a good thing you guys did this, because If you told us, we would have just screwed it up. And I was like, here you go. So yeah, That's what the cop said? Yeah, that's what the cop said. He's like,
0: (laughs) you guys killed it. We would have fucked this up. (laughs) (laughs) So, at one point, you and my dad split. He kept on the borderline, and you started Northern Border. And do you remember kind of why you guys split? Yeah, I mean... I'm not super organized,
1: but I like kind of like try to keep my ducks in a, in a pretty good row. And then maybe Scott, he he might be his ducks might be in a little wider row. And so we didn't see eye to eye and so um we we split the partnership. I mean, it really came down to that. And I mean, it, I don't know if you've ever been in a partnership, but they're rare that they work out. It's kind of it wasn't like bad blood or hard feelings or anything. It was just, yeah, it sounds a good idea.
0: Yeah, I, I know that whenever people would come into Borderline and say we didn't have something or vice versa, they'd go into Northern Border. Um, we'd be like, oh, yeah, go check out Northern Border or, you know, go check yeah. out Borderline. They, they'll they probably have it. So Yeah,
1: no, it wasn't like uh, any, you know, we weren't mad at each other. It was just like. Okay, well, we're not seeing eye to eye. Maybe we'll try something different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, so in a lot of ways, style and fashion have come full circle in snowboarding. Uh, Maybe not when you're talking about kind of competition riders, but definitely when we're talking about a lot of riders who focus on filming video parts. So you can see it. In them getting back into '90s fashion and their writing style, with the attention to carving and kind of individual style, um, why do you think that is?
1: Um, hmm. that's a good, interesting question. I mean, maybe partially, um, they look up to some of these styles or aspects of snowboarding like um i mean i still you know the the guys i look up to from you know 85 uh you know steve graham and uh farmer and um and and it was just take steve graham for instance you do this this certain trick and you know i want to do that trick and so Maybe a little bit of it comes from that. And then uh, with the internet, everybody knows everything so much. Mm -hmm. Everybody's aware of uh, everything. Yeah. It's hard to pull off something nobody's aware of. So if you dive back and go, oh, I'm going to pull this crap back and, and bring it up. Younger generations might not have seen this stuff might not know this stuff it's
0: it's it's not new it's just new again exactly yeah new again i was actually just about to say that yeah um also i think that it probably has has a little to do with um snowboarding is progressing in a direction that's more of the same so you you remember back in like uh, like the the early two thousands when it, you just added another spin on another one eighty, and then it just kept going another one eighty, another one eighty, another one eighty. Now it's do another cork, you know, and so it's it's a lot of of the same. Whereas if you if you look back to you know those those older videos like uh, Project Six, right? You remember, remember that you were in that video, yeah. And so I actually, uh re that recently and that's where i came up with that question i was like all of this stuff in this video looks like what is hot right now in snowboarding and in filming the filming aspect of snowboarding which i thought was super interesting mm-hmm. like that movie is a hundred percent watchable nowadays like you you could watch that movie before you go to the mountain you know to get yeah. hype to go snowboard yeah
1: yeah oh man i know and they don't you know what just kills me uh, and project 6 is awesome there's not much talking in it you know these these red bull documentaries where we struggled so hard to get to the surf or or to the spot and it was just a struggle i don't i don't turn on the tv to listen somebody tell their story on how hard it was to get to do something i just want to see the action Mm -hmm. I want to see hammer after hammer after hammer. And that's project six. You know, it's like Jamie Lynn, bam, bam, bam. We're killing this. And Rippy like, Oh, I'm going to do some crap. And, and all that, you know, the videos and stuff today, this making, it's a bunch of junk. (laughs) junk. I think I also think,
0: I think the experience is different as well. Like when you're, when you're talking about those Red Bull documentaries, they're more like, cinematic whereas i think that um project six was more about this is this is a straight up snowboard video you were watching a snowboard video to watch people snowboard not not to be able to be played at a movie theater and the person who's not into snowboarding be able to follow you know the story
1: now now the red bull crap's like 60 minutes it's ridiculous you know and then they review some crap it's like Oh, I had to ride a four-wheeler for this far to get to the surf spot. You already told me that. I don't want to hear that. Let's see some ripping.
0: The ratio's just all off. Yeah. So what was it like filming for Project 6?
1: I mean, we dictated the whole thing. It was like, okay, we're going to go here and do this. We're going to go here and do that. Let's go to Alieska and do a switch triple poke over the cat track. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. And let's hit this and hit that. And, you know, it was non-scripted. There was no storyline. I mean, uh, you know, you'd tell the filmer, I'm going to hit that right there, and and then you'd hit it. There was no direction, so it quite possibly didn't turn out the best. And it was limited what we were trying to do compared to what you can do in a a closed area, a snowboard park, or whatever. It's hard to stack footy in the backcountry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you can go to a snowboard park and jib a barrel and and if you're good you can throw down, you know, a couple of hammers in an hour where if you're in the backcountry it's it's difficult so hmm. unstructured I'd say.
0: So, now that you're older and able to look back, are you surprised by anything, maybe by how things turned out?
1: Well, I'd say when you get older, you you wish You would listen to other people and actually realize what was going on around you. You know, there was a lot of situations or opportunities where maybe I could have capitalized more on or not. But maybe I was wound up in the moment and just doing it. And then the the, the advice is people will say things to you, but you won't even realize what they're saying. You know, like when you're my brother... You know, tells that story about me getting caught in that avalanche and getting buried. And then I write out the end, you know. So the helicopter flew in Doug Coombs, which is legendary big mountain skier and Rito Lamb and some other dudes. And they were shooting some stuff for fire and ice. There were Europeans and they landed on the Berlin. They landed and then walked out to the Berlin Wall. They were a ways ahead of us. And then we came in on the second chopper and landed. And I'd seen this little shoot over here. And I'm like, well, everybody else is like, we're going to drop in here. And I'm like, I'm going to go over here and hit this shoot. And so I, I walked down the ridge about halfway between the LZ landing pad and Doug Coombs. And Doug Coombs says to me, hey, we just drove in there that, that night. you know, We drive in, leave town, Anchorage, Friday night. We're in there Saturday morning. We probably slept in the car or wherever, in the snowbank. And uh, this is the first run of the morning. And Doug Coombe says to me, I'm taking a leak, you know. And Doug Coombe says, hey, it snowed a foot last night. He's not close to me. He's probably 300 feet away. And he just yells at me, hey, it snowed a foot last night. And so I'm super... Dumb or not smart or whatever. Didn't know all that. Well, when somebody says that to you, it means Hey 75% of the avalanches Happen within the first 24 hours of a snowfall. He didn't tell me that He thought I knew that But that's what he was trying to tell me I don't have a clue dropped in did one turn did another turn and then I see at the bottom of the run, probably a thousand feet below me, where the Berkstram crack is, where the mountain ends and the glacier starts, I see the snow shooting up like, uh, like a big uh, snow geyser just shooting straight up. And I'm like, whoa, I've never seen that before. And I look over to the rocks and I realize all the snow I'm moving on or riding on is moving. And I'm like, oh, crap. We're talking maybe a few seconds of thinking and maneuvering. I'm like, oh crap, I'm making one turn and I'm riding into those rocks and I'm going to try and hang on to the rocks. And by the time I made that thought and did like a half a turn, the snow had accelerated to as fast as I was going. So I plopped in up to my knees. I'm still standing up going straight down the mountain on my snowboard and the snow comes up like duck diving a wave. It comes up, goes over, beneath, over my head. So I stick my hand up and I'm looking and I'm like, this is this is bad. And I'm still going down the mountain standing up on my snowboard. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Only, my first thing was start clearing the snow away from your face. So I start clearing the snow away from my face. I'm pushing the snow away from my face, away from my face. And then it goes down and it hits the glacier and then it spreads out. And then it's like duck diving away. The the snow came down off me, came down to my knees. I did a forward roll and rolled out the end. But uh yeah, think about what people say to you. They're trying to trying to teach you something, but you gotta realize uh what they're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear your perspective of that story because my dad just told that story on his podcast. Yeah. So we have the the perspective from the bottom of it, and now we have a perspective from you being in it. Yeah. You know, during that time, it seems like you guys were all chasing a sense of adventure. Has anything changed, or do you feel like you're still chasing that?
1: Ah, yeah, that's a good question. I like that one. So... When you get older, you start realizing, like, um, I'll just, I can say, I guess I can only speak for myself. Is I look back at my life and I'm like, how did this all start? And I'm like, okay, I'm young, eight, five, and we're just rip, We're just crazy over in Spinard, you know, just, just, well, just out of control. And then BMX was a big deal, you know, BMX, you know, and okay, we're, we're BMXing. And, and then, you know, you hurt yourself, you hurt yourself a lot. And then, and then uh, we went to skiing and skiing, we're skiing, we're just like, you know, Wayne Wong, Twister Daffy spreads and all that crap. And, and then snowboarding. And then I went to snow machining and then it's just one thing after another. Boom, 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 boom. And then you look, you get about 40 and you're like, okay, no, no thing actually makes you happy. I mean, I do all these things. Why am I doing all these things? You know, I did this and this and I started thinking about, it. I'm like, okay, well, why am I doing this? And I'm like, oh, well, I guess one somebody says that's cool or gives you attention it makes you feel good. I'm like, oh yeah. Or if you hurt yourself, and You have to tell the story that makes you feel good too. Everybody, the only thing on everybody's mind is themselves. Rarely anybody can think of anything but themselves. So I realized when I was 40 years so, old, I'm like, why do I keep doing all these things? And and I'm uh, so now I'm looking at, I'm like, okay, I, I want to do this, and then I think, why do I want to do this? Is it for attention? Do I want, I mean, what do you got to prove or, you know, so I, to answer your question is yes, that you get older and you start to try and figure out why you're doing things. Why would, why does no thing make me happy? It's because no thing can. So nothing makes you happy? No, no. It can make you happy, but it's not like forever or it, it's not lasting. So if there was a product that could make you happy, everybody would buy it and everybody would be happy forever. That doesn't work. Yeah. People go through products, buying things, shopping, snowboarding, skating, because it makes them happy. When, when somebody says, oh, Cody, man, that was a sick. Front board, blah, blah, blah. Bam, little adrenaline rush or a little uh, dopamine. Bam, I feel good. And then you don't really realize it at the time the dopamine. Oh, I got to do that again. And then you do snowboarding. I can do a front board and I'm cool. And I, everybody likes my front board. I'm going to do a front board. But it doesn't last forever. So you got to come up with some other crap after that. I need to do a switch nose press. Let's switch nose press. And and so that's just like snowboarding. But then some people look at it as um, purchasing or oh I need a diesel and a Dodge diesel and I need a four place enclosed and I need a cyber turbo on my, my 850 and, and then I'll be cool and, and I'll get that dopamine rush. And it's like, dude, it's not gonna last. It don't those thing it no thing. Like I said, it's mm-hmm. weird. It makes you happy for a little while, but it don't last. So you got to keep repeating and repeating. And and you, and you get older and I'm like, why do I keep doing all these things? I keep one thing after another and another. I'm like, this is crazy.
0: So after you realized it was crazy, did you find out what actually made you happy?
1: Well, I, I <laughs> didn't quite Yeah, right. I nailed that one. If I nailed that one down, I wouldn't even be here. I'd be (laughs) like, bam. (laughs)
0: This isn't making you happy?
1: (laughs) No, I love this, but I haven't, I think I know. I don't think I'm going to say it. I can't, I can't describe it. It's weird, but um, okay. I grew up no internet, right? I have like five bros in the trailer court. And you know, you don't realize you're trailer trash till you're about 40. And somebody tells you you're tra- you realize, oh, I was trailer trash. <laughs> and so I grew up before the internet, before all this stuff. And so awareness creates discontentment, right? You, you know that concept, yeah, yeah, the more
0: you know, the less happy you are,
1: yeah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awareness creates discontentment, so when I say, "Oh, I was trailer trash, I didn't realize that at the time i was I was in the trailer, I was loving it i'm I'm known, I'm the crew, you know, and this and that, but then you know when you get to forty, you're like, oh, I like it so it's trailer trash you' know, so I was aware of that, and I was maybe a little discontent, mm-hmm. so there you go, and um, no, I'm trying to. Like, slow down and do things that are, when you get older, that are kind of timeless. And you look at the old, like, phrases and quotes that people made. And you start to realize, you know, you reap what you sow. What does that mean? You reap what you sow. And so I look at that and I'm like, I abuse my body. For 53 years now, and I'm getting ready to reap what I sowed. And so I've been, you know, everything's wearing out. I need to exercise. I need a your mind. You need to exercise your mind, your eyes, everything. You're losing it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's what I'm looking at.
0: It seems like maybe what you're saying is... Being more aware of the reality of situations instead of trying to chase superficial things. Things like, you know, the, the diesel, the yeah. um, the feeling you get when you do a trick or you do a heli line. And it is the reaction from others that gives you that satisfaction rather than being um, being satisfied with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I know.
1: And, you know, what it really comes down to is um, charity
0: and volunteering. So, after all this, you've realized that community, philanthropy, humanity, and caring about your fellow man, your neighbor, those are the things that are important. Yeah. You know, uh, i not reading a book. I didn't read that book. Maybe someday I'll read that book.
1: I've been reading a little bit more lately. but uh... (laughs) What book are you talking about? Oh, shoot. I don't know the name of it. But the point of it was this lady, Um, uh, she was a hospice nurse. I don't know if I told you this or not. And she started interviewing the, the hospice nurse. People are dying. And she started interviewing them on their regrets from their life. Old people. Number one regret from men, wish it didn't work so hard. Mm-hmm. Number one regret from both women and men, I wish I would have lived my life. By my own standards and not other people's. So. I'm getting old. I'm looking at this I'm like, well, kind of don't work so hard, but and maybe I don't live my life by other people's standards. But, you know, you look at these things, you don't look at them when you're young. It's like, well, I don't, I don't care about that, but. Too busy living life. Too busy living life. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So you start what, what you said, the community volunteering
0: and all that. That's where kind of really is that well that's awesome that's a that's a good place to be at yeah well thanks for being on the show jay yeah this buddy pretty, this has been awesome thanks for oh, chatting with oh, me boy.
1: i'll have to uh, review the edit
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can support local grassroots journalism at patreon.com slash crude magazine if you're not familiar with patreon it's a platform that makes it easy for you to support content that matters to our community for as little as one dollar a month crude conversations is written hosted and produced by me cody liska for crude magazine intro music was produced by Alcoda beats